A very uncomfortable situation to be doing laundry with men here. Like real men with hammers. If there's someone else that you have in mind, if there's someone you can think of that is a better screen actor than Philip Seymour Hoffman was, please let me know because I would love to sit down and watch those movies. Please let me know because I would love to sit down and watch those movies. Hey, it's uh, Dan Class. It's the bitterest pill. I'm in my garage here under the fly path, Los Angeles International Airport. It'll be interesting to see if I remember how to do this. And, you know, I guess I do have to apologize. When I don't get around to doing a show for any of my non-reason reasons, um, you would think that I would at least, you know, put out an old show, an old pillbox show that you might enjoy, might enjoy in my absence, but I don't do that because I forget. How have you been? It's been, I mean, it's been a while, right? Let's, let's look. Well, you know, it's January 19th. Wow. Okay. That's bad. All right. That's bad. Apparently I don't do a podcast anymore. Maybe we should just accept that right now again. Listen, it's year 10. What do you expect? The way to do a podcast apparently is to first become a comedian and then keep being a comedian, and then invite all your comedian friends to come talk to you. That, my friend, is how you make a successful podcast. You don't make a successful podcast by coming into your garage by yourself and babbling into a microphone by yourself and choking on your own spit by yourself. That's just not how it's done. That's not how it's done. It's not how it works. (coughs) So we've had we've had workers in the house. That's part of the problem. That's part of what's happening. Our ho- we've lived in this house for 12 years and it there are certain aspects of the house that have not been maintained or that need to be maintained or that you know things die. It's chaos theory. Everything is right st- screaming towards chaos and so we had this hole in the floor, in the wall, from where the heater used to be. And that needed to be repaired. And all these window sills, outdoors, that needed to be repaired because they got dry rot and termite and termite rot and dry termites. And the back step and the carport was falling apart. Just all the, all these things, that, you know, that just kind of need to get done. They, they need to be maintained. So whenever there's guys here like that working... I really am hesitant to do anything, you know, that might be construed as woman's work. You know what I'm saying? And I say that in quotes, with finger quotes, woman's work, you know, old-fashioned woman's work, like stuff that your mom's mom did. So I'm very, it's, it's a very uncomfortable situation to be doing laundry with men here, like real men with hammers. I'm not a real man. I'm sorting other people's underpants and occasionally I, I play on a computer, right? That, that's pretty much my thing. Because I like to try to act like I'm so busy and so important and so well-financed that, of course, there would be other people that we would hire. And the truth is, th- no, that's not the case. We hire men to come in here and fix things so I can do the laundry. Do the laundry and do our taxes, apparently. So that's what I've been doing, our taxes. And I have to do our taxes 
early in the, in the year, the calendar year, so we can be denied financial aid by the educational institutions that our children uh, frequent. I'm drunk. You would think I'm drunk. I always See, I'm always worried I'm going to get hungry when I make these little recordings. And so I eat a little something. One of my, you know, whatever my 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 meal replacement slash protein bar, or whatever, and it gets me a little buzz, and it makes right, it makes my lips do weird things. So let's just keep each other company for a couple of minutes, and then I'll get back to. I mean, there literally is right now, no joking, all joking aside, an entire laundry thing. What is it, what's it called? Washing machine full of clothes clothes that need to be hung up because nothing goes in the dryer okay so all right so let's just let's address let's let's just begin by addressing the the elephant in the room which is um Okay, let's address the elephant in the room, which is the um, the Oh, I can't even say it. I can't even say it. It's ridiculous because listen, here's the truth. Um oh, I don't even want to talk about it. You know, I don't. Look, Philip Seymour Hoffman died. And uh, <laughs> I just don't want to talk about it, but I have to because there has to be a show. I have to do a podcast since Philip Seymour Hoffman died. That's what I have to do. That's the position that I'm in as someone that talks into a microphone. I mean, don't we all have to kind of address that? And then as someone that grew up in the same town as Philip Seymour Hoffman, don't I kind of have to address that? And then someone that's friends with his brother, don't I have to write and yet I've worked very hard for a month now to not address it and to be in denial about it. And I'm still in a lot of denial about it. And the truth is, I don't really have a right to feel anything about it. I, I you know. And yet I guess we all do because people that act in movies become part of our lives. For many of us, most of us, the vast majority, and I include myself in this, we're voyeurs. We live our lives, our mundane lives, partially vicariously through people that make movies. Particularly the actors, because we're not as aware of the directors, we're not as aware of the writers, and, and all the uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that it takes to make a movie. We're, we're focused on the actors because that's who we look at. And so I think for anybody that follows movies actively, like some of us do, like it's sports or religion or something. You know, the passing of an artist at the magnitude of Philip Seymour Hoffman is artistically devastating to the culture. Now, you know, for me, obviously, and I'm not alone in this, but, you know, because, you know, because I was a kid... In Fairport, New York, and I would be in drama club with Philip Seymour Hoffman's brother, Gordy. 
And Gordy and I would occasionally talk or dream or whatever about the future. And when you're a kid, you, you sort of do that thinking that anything is possible. And then you sort of do that thinking nothing is possible whatsoever. That you have no concept of the future. You don't know how big it is. You don't really know what the possibilities are for the future. You, you, have, no, you have no concept of being 21, let alone anything else. And so for, I think for a lot of people, the, for, it definitely seems like for some people that I've spoken to in the last month. You know, Phil, Philip Seymour Hoffman was our hometown hero for, for the drama kids. And I have very semi-quietly but actively idolized Philip Seymour Hoffman because of that. And, and rightfully so. <clears throat> and you know what I mean? The, when the hometown hero isn't, isn't a guy who lucked into something. He didn't win the lottery or he didn't play like a couple of innings in a pro baseball game. He didn't, right, become famous for, right, some weird slap-happy thing that wasn't a coincidence. He wasn't getting by on his looks. It was sheer hard work and talent. It's an elevated thing. And it's a thing you can't even dismiss. It's a thing you, you have to embrace. And you want to embrace. You embrace it gladly. My God, this man that we knew as a boy has taken his art form and in front of all of us ele- elevated to a, to a point where you can't even argue about it anymore. I mean, listen, we, we were calling Philip Seymour Hoffman. And if you don't mind, I'd like to call him Phil from now on because I think it's ridiculous to keep calling him that. But... Um, you know, the local folks, we've been saying that Phil was going to be among the, if not the greatest, you know, actor of our generation for a long, long time. And it, and that's one of the things that makes it tough to see the media is that everyone's agreeing now. Everyone. Like, you can't argue it now. You have to stop and think about it. You can't, you know, you can't try to keep it, uh, his career and his abilities, his talent, his accomplishments out of, you have to put everything in context now and step back and go, yeah. Yeah, that is what was going on. And people used to like to qualify it by saying, well, Philip Seymour Hoffman, potentially, possibly, possibly the greatest character actor of his generation. Possibly, you know, because he's kind of stocky and blonde and he did have glasses. So perhaps of the guys that are glasses, guys, character, was he a character? No, he was. He just accept, just accept it, (laughs) accept it. He was. <clears throat> the greatest actor of our generation, arguably the greatest screen actor in the history of screen acting. If you look at his career, look at the diversity of roles, look at the depth at which those roles were given to us, the argument can be made 
and should be made, and is currently right now being made by me, that Philip Seymour Hoffman was in fact the greatest screen actor. Period. At least in the English-speaking language. If there's someone else that you have in mind, if there's someone you can think of that is a better screen actor than Philip Seymour Hoffman was, please let me know because I would love to sit down and watch those movies and see those TV shows. I would love to see and celebrate an actor that had the depth and breadth that filled it. And I say this um, not to say like I was there or anything like that, but this is this is the truth. So the legend goes that Philip Seymour Hoffman, Phil, Phil hurt him. He was a wrestler and he hurt himself or someone hurt him. Somehow he got injured wrestling and his coach said he couldn't wrestle. He had to sit out of wrestling. And the story that was often told is that he was sitting around at school and ran into a, a young woman a couple of years older than he who was headed to an audition for, they were going to do a production of MASH. And he was looking kind of bummed, and she stopped and said, what's going on? Oh, I can't, you know, I can't wrestle. Well, I'm going to MASH. I'm going to audition for MASH. You should come. And this young woman, her name is Amy. Amy is very attractive and very persuasive. And she attracted and persuaded men. Like, there wasn't a guy, because she was a year... Uh, uh, younger than I going to school. So we went, we're in school together. And, um, yeah, we all, we all loved Amy. We'll just, we'll just, we, that, that's the extent of the detail. I just, you know. Anyway, Amy, you're a very beautiful and persuasive woman. And, um, it was fun because she actually recently on Facebook confirmed the sheer validity of that tale. Because I, Seen slight variations of that tale in, in several publications throughout Philip's career. So so he went and auditioned for MASH, and he ended up getting the part of Radar O'Reilly in this stage production of MASH. My sister was in it, and a bunch of kids that I didn't know were in it. I don't even remember if Amy was in it. And it was a very good production. Our drama teacher, Marjorie Marshall, was very good at what she did, and it was probably very good at what she does now. I don't, I don't think she's teaching high school at the moment. But... um. You know, it was a very good show. It was very funny. It was very heartfelt. You know, whatever. But there was something about Phil that was not distracting, because that there's a negative implication there, but that was attracting. There was something about what Phil was doing, and I can't tell you what it was, that just was like, oh my God, Phil was so good at radar. I mean, he it's not that big a part. It's radar. And then I remember hearing that they did Death of a Salesman at some point that Phil played Willie Loman. But that was our that was our drama teacher, Marjorie Marshall, Midge. Midge would throw something like Death of a Salesman at a 17 or 18-year-old, knowing you would rise to the occasion. And I, I did not see that, and I really wish I had, and I'm sure Phil did.
So because he was Gordy's brother and because he was the hometown guy, I mean, of course, I, you know, I, I made damn sure I taped Law & Order that night to see him on Law & Order back in the early 90s. And I'm not sure we would have seen Scent of a Woman in the theater if it hadn't been for Phil being in it. And it was the first time anyone I knew from hometown, definitely, Maybe it was the first time anyone that I knew personally, I don't, I don't even know, was in a movie. Like, we could go to a movie theater and see someone I knew in a movie. Like, I had met a bunch of people when I moved out here, but I'd never seen any of them in a movie. I'd seen them on TV shows. I'd seen a bunch of TV people, but I didn't know, you know what I mean, like a peer in a movie. That was weird. And that was the beginning of me not getting what Phil was doing. I didn't understand it. And, and I need to explain what that means. <clears throat> and I think Twister is a perfect example. So he was in the movie Twister and he played a guy. I don't even know what the name of the character, Sandy or Rusty or something, I think. Right. And Twister is about these people that, uh, you know, chase tornadoes. And Bill Paxton's in it and Helen Hunt is in it. Jamie Gertz is in it and uh, Carrie Elways or whatever. You know, um, the Dread Pri Pirate Robert, you know, Princess Bride, he's in it. And a bunch of people are in it. And Phil is in it, right? And I remember seeing the movie and thinking, wow, you know, that was good and exciting. The, ex the effects at the time were so amazing. There's cows flying around. You know what I mean? And I remember thinking, you know, Bill Paxton was really good in that movie. And Helen Hunt, Jamie, everyone was real good or whatever. What, what was Phil doing? Like, I don't understand. Phil seemed like he was in a different movie and by different I mean better Phil like I it, it was like everyone else was acting and Philip was doing a magic trick and whenever he was on screen I just stared at him because I wanted to figure out what the magic trick was that he was doing and I couldn't unravel it I couldn't even see what the trick was I just knew that like there was some different energy that he had, some different, I, like, I, and I still can't even articulate it. But it was like all those other things that you would see him in as the years went by. Like, he was rusty. Like, you thought maybe, I don't know, has Phil chased tornadoes? Like, what's going on, man? Like, why, what, what? He's not begging me to watch him. He's not begging me to like him. He's not always, like, in that perfect actor position. And yet he is. There's something about what he's doing that's drawing me to Rusty. Like, I want to see the Rusty movie. <clears throat> but I thought it was just me. I thought it was just because we knew Phil. I thought it was just because it's Gordy's brother. It's Gordy's brother. He's Phil. He's from home. It's he's drama club. It's it's that's must be what it is. But that wasn't what it is, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's it's it was fascinating and infuriating, infuriating, not out of jealousy or anything like, just that I didn't understand. Like, what is he doing that's different than what they're doing?
He's standing in front of the camera. They're standing in front of the camera. He's saying his lines. They're saying their lines. He's doing his blocking. They're doing their blocking. A tornado's coming. Everybody's shouting and running and they're acting scared. They're being scared or whatever it is. But what? But there's something different about what Phil's doing. To this day, and I have not seen everything he's done. I haven't. But I've seen a lot. And I still don't know what he was doing. I still don't get it on that level. Like, I, I don't even... You know what I mean? It's not that not to say that I can't reproduce it. It's not. It doesn't even get that far. I can't imagine what he was doing. And even when I see other really, really good actors... And there are many just superb actors right now. We are blessed. It's a flood. I sort of understand what they're doing. They're doing it really well, and I know what they're doing. They've created a character, and they've worked on it. They've, they've lived in the character's shoes. Maybe they're really methody, and they act, you know, they get into character and stay into character for weeks and months and whatever, whatever. I get, I get that. I get that. And I see the results, and I appreciate the results. I still don't get what Phil was doing, because I know he was probably just really doing all that stuff, but it was just different. It was just different and deeper, and I, uh, and it was fabulous to watch, and just mesmerizing, and and like, like a magic trick. And a month ago, on a Sunday, my phone started to vibrate. And it was text messages. It was a bunch of them coming at once. And I thought it was one that I just wasn't attending to. I thought it was from my contractor. Because the contractor and I had been communicating about something. I don't even know what it was, but it was something. We were in the middle of some sort of text-based communication earlier that Sunday or the previous day or whatever. And my phone starts to vibrate. And I think it's him. And it was actually Cush. Cush simultaneously was Cush. No, 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 that, no, no, no. That's right. And, and literally within a, a split second, it was Cush. My friend from acting school, Jenny Ben Jenny, uh, Judy Ben Judy. Excuse me, Judy. Sorry. Happy birthday, Judy. You're not listening. It was Judy Ben Judy, Cush, and my cousin Rob. Like literally all at the same time. At like 11.01 or whatever it was. Whatever it was, it was this, this one split second of like vibration. All saying pretty much the same thing. I'm, I'm so sorry to hear about Gordy's brother. So I go running into the other room with my phone in my hand. Like outstretched like I'm in a cartoon. Looking for Melissa. And she sees the look on my face and she says, oh, my God, oh, my God, what's wrong? And I said, I don't know. But I think something's happened to Phil.
And I didn't really know Phil that well. I really didn't. I mean, when you really put it into perspective, if it's between me and Amy Adams, trust me, Amy Adams knew Phil way better than I did. But again, because I've revered him so long, in our house, he's he was Phil. Like, if you said Phil, that meant Philip Seymour Hoffman. That was Phil. Because he worked a lot. He came up a lot. He was on TV or movies a lot. Like, uh, you know, if you're an actor and you knew, you know, what I mean? like, and I talked to Gordy recently or whatever, you know, so. So I go running. I, I think something's happened to Phil. Oh, my God. So I sit down at the computer and I'm about to Google Phil. I don't even remember if I told you this a, a couple of months ago when my friend Jeff was killed. But Jeff's wife, Lori, called and told me. And that was really real right away because his wife is telling me. And I remember spending the next two days, every, probably at least once an hour, six, seven, eight times a day, I would Google Jeffrey Newland. And the only thing that would come up was his LinkedIn and his websites and the things that he had put online. And there was something very kind of comforting about that in a way when you're trying to deal with it and you're, you're kind of in denial but kind of not in denial. And I remember Googling Jeffrey Newland, Jeff Newland, Newland, Jeff Newland, and getting just like normal stuff and thinking... This isn't going to last, and I'm just going to sit and I'm going to enjoy this before it becomes what it becomes. So I googled Philip Seymour Hoffman, and I hoped that it was just a a, a mistake, a mix-up, a Jackie Chan scam. You know, Jackie Chan dies every month or so on Facebook. So I'm Googling Philip Seymour Hoffman and I'm hoping that obviously this can't possibly be what's happened. So I tried to keep it together because I was so... I mean, I was heartbroken as a fan and as someone that you know knew him through his family. But I was just so as you can imagine, heartbroken for his family, for his mother and father and siblings. And, you know, I've met some of his nieces and nephews and I've met his partner Mimi. And they're all just, you know, you know, they're not the Kardashians. They're a normal, wonderful you know, suburbs of Rochester family that, you know. So I was just heart I was just heartbroken and shattered for them. And I felt like I had to call Gordy right away. And so I took a while to kind of get it to you know, just sort of like, okay, you gotta call Gordy, but you gotta be cool, man. I don't know what to say. But you gotta, you gotta be, you know, 
You got to make it through this phone call. And I called him and I kept it together for two or three seconds and then I just blubbered. I just was so sad for him. And so sad for their mother, especially. No offense, girls, but just... So sad. I couldn't find their mom's cell phone number. I thought I had it, but I don't. So I sent her a message on, on Facebook. It's a lot easier not to cry when you're typing. <laughs> it's a lot easier to kind of keep it together when you can rewrite and reread and and all that. And I'm not going to comment on his personal life. I don't know anything about it. It's not my business. None of that is our business. None of this none of the news none of that is my business. I have read the minimum amount. I don't know. I don't want to know. I know right. <coughs> I don't want to know. I don't want to know. No offense. But you know what I mean? It's, it's one of those things like, do I want to know about certain celebrities? Yeah, I do. But Philip Seymour Hoffman kept his personal life out of the papers, so to speak. And so just because he's not here to do that anymore doesn't mean it's now suddenly time to go rummaging through his personal stuff. And it just doesn't seem right to me. So I've read a few things just because they they so clearly were going to be focused on his career and not the news. But I haven't heard from Gordy. And it's been a month and I'm I'm sure he's fine. He has a wonderful network of support and all that, but I haven't heard back from him. I, I hope he's well. I'm, I can't even imagine what any of them are dealing with right now. The horrible, one of the horrible ironies of the situation is um, I got a, I got a Facebook message from Lori. And I hope she doesn't mind me saying this. I'm not really going to say much more than the bare bones facts. Lori pinged me on Facebook and said, hey, can we talk? I'm really having a hard time. And I want to talk to someone that, that knew Jeff and Phil. Because Lori, my friend Jeff Newland's wife, her high school sweetheart was Phil. That's tough. <laughs> That's tough. That's tough. We had a great conversation. We re- we really did. She's such a strong lady. Holy God, I, some, you know, she's been through a lot. She's going through a lot. And um, I just can't imagine being that strong for that long. It's, it's amazing. They don't know anything about Jeff. There's nothing. There's nothing. There's nothing. They know nothing. 
I wish I'd known Phil better. I wish uh, the few times that I spent time with him, I'd forced myself on him a little more. I was very intimidated by Phil. I think I was intimidated by Phil, and I'm, I'm still very intimidated by Gordy. They have, I, I don't know if Gordy really fully comprehends the depths of my insecurity. Um, but even as a 14-year-old wrestler, like before he even started, I just, there's something about that energy that I was always, uh, I always felt like I was on my heels. You know what I mean? Whenever I was with him, he was absolutely great and gracious and, you know, all that sort of stuff. But I just wish I would have, you know, badgered him maybe a little bit more. But he was in town... Um, I don't know. Maybe I have the chronology off. I, I was, Gordy wrote and directed a, a play called Bedset that I was in. I played Death. I was Death as a trucker. As a southern, at the end of the play, a southern trucker comes in and he's Death. It was, it was a very interesting show. It was very good. Um, so, uh, and Phil, he must have come to see it. I, don't, I can't imagine he would have just shown up at the end. And, like, I didn't watch the play and then come out to eat or whatever. How did that even work? My my memory is just so mushy. So, anyway. I think this is how it goes. So, yeah. So, so Phil came to the show and we all were going to go out to eat somewhere. And I think this was after Boogie Nights but before Lebowski. Is that possible? I don't remember. I'm trying to think of what he would have been in town shooting but um and the reason i the reason i babble about that is because so we got we were going to go to one place and then we went to another place and i we all drove separately because it's la and i was a little behind everybody else because i was talking to friends of mine from my acting class and i went to the first place and i said and i was like looking around there were these people sitting outside and they're like oh who are you looking for is like hey, did you like there was a group of people and they were here as like a bunch of people. And they were going to be here. Did they? Did you see them? And they're like, well, was one of them Scotty from Boogie Nights? And I was like, yeah, one of them was Scotty from Boogie Nights, man. And they're like, yeah, they went down there. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to ask Phil, because I think I might have even had some kind of weird, like a network meeting or something, where I was going to go to NBC and meet someone. Like one of those things. Like not an audition, but a meeting. Just like, hey, Dan. You know, they kind of... See if you're crazy. So I wanted to grill Phil for information because this guy was, even then, I mean, I'm pretty sure he was in town working with the Coen brothers, right? You know what I mean? Like, that's the guy you had. Like, what are you doing? You're, I mean, you're rocking. I just, ugh. so at one point I did get a chance to ask. I said, Phil, you know, what, what advice do you have for me? I'm starting to go on these, you know, a lot of auditions. I've got this network thing and, you know, like, well, anything. Just, you know, Obi-Wan, right? Give me something. And I was hoping we were going to sit and have a, like a nice 30-minute long conversation about the ins and outs of auditioning or acting or getting into character, being into character, what to, whatever. And all he said was, be memorable. 
be memorable because you only get one shot at anything. And so be memorable. And I said, that's it? And he said, well, yeah. I mean, yeah. That's it, man. And he was memorable. And I think we're going to remember Phil Hoffman for a very long time. And I'm really selfishly, selfishly sad that he's gone. And personally sad that he's gone. But I know he will never be forgotten. Well done. So thanks for listening to The Bitterest Pill. I um, I didn't intend for that to be the whole episode, and yet it was sort of inevitable, I think, that... You know what I mean? Like, you can't put it off, and you can't follow it. So let's just let this be what it is, shall we? Um, my apologies for, uh, you know, not... Like I said before, for not filling in with old episodes, I need to get back on the thing. We, we've been so busy. I've been so busy lately, but... um. I feel like I have a bit of my life back now. Thank goodness, because it's middle of February. Not even. Um, yeah, I, next t- next time, I guess we will talk about the Lending Tree commercial that I did a couple weeks ago. I was actually talking to Lori on the phone as I was driving to the callback or the audition or whatever. Um, so yeah, LendingTree.com. That was a lot of fun. And... Um, I feel like there was other stuff, but I can't think of what it was. So what you gonna do? Anyway, listen. Th- you know, as always, thanks for downloading these. Um, yeah, thanks for downloading these. I hope you're well. Take a take a moment to tell the people around you that you dig them and you get them. All right. Uh, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. Can you tell me I don't want to stop talking, and yet I don't want to start talking? <laughs> Listen, I missed you. I'm sorry. I've mi- Okay, I admit it. I've missed our conversations. I really have. I just, uh, yeah, I just, you know, whatever. Anyway, I hope you're well. I hope your family's, I hope you're all well. I just hope you're well, you know, and I hope you stay well for a long time. And, um, yeah, so thanks for listening. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye. The Bitter's Pill is produced by Jacket Media, makers of fine podcasts since 2004. That's 